And welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with another Little Black Classic Penguin Collection book review. This is a book review episode on The Old Nurse's Story by Gaskell. And I am joined, very excited to be joined. We're back doing reviews with two people. Fearsome, twosome. <laughs> Our friend of the podcast, Amanda, has joined me for a review of these short stories. Amanda, welcome to a book review episode. Thank you. You've been on, you're a podcast veteran now. I don't have to explain <laughs> this to you at all. You're old pro, seasoned, et cetera, et cetera. Probably hmm. already a little bit uh, you know, jaded, but we're here to do a book review and not so much a deep dive. So Amanda was on with The Sorrows of Young Werther. We did a follow-up on that. Um, wh- who's that author again? Uh, Goethe. There we go. Yeah, the name I won't even try and pronounce. And then we we did an Emily... No, I was going to say Emily Dickinson. Nope. Jane Austen. There's more than Mm -hmm. two famous female authors. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Not interchangeable at all. Extremely different writers there. Um, But we did some follow-up deep dive podcast. This one is just a normal book review. and We're going to keep going through the Penguins uh, kind of collection or set. And this is the 39th of those reviews. I called you in or tagged you in because I thought we might do a follow-up to Gaskell. Now I'm not as certain. We wanted to tackle an additional like novella, I guess. Is that what uh, Cranford is? Cranford, I think, is actually more of... Uh, I just very quickly looked through it. Um, yeah. But I think it's actually more of a short story compilation along the lines of like Winesburg, Ohio. Those oh, okay. type of uh, story writing. Yeah, it's like a, a world of short stories, but right. nothing... Nothing cohesive, except for the setting, I guess. Is yeah, yeah. There's one. Co- usually, it's a cohesive setting and a cohesive theme throughout. But gotcha. uh, that's what a short story compilation is. But yeah, fantastic. Um, but here today, we're reviewing two short stories that Penguin selected. One is called "The Old Nurse's Story," and the other one is called "Curious If True," which is kind of funny because I'm pretty sure the "If True" like blank "If True" thing is kind of a 2020. I'm not going to say it's a meme, but it's sort of a phrase or expression I've heard a lot lately, like a weird if true or strange if true. Anyway, she wrote a story called Curious if True, and we're here to cover those two. Let's start the review by talking about just general formatting. I am going to keep playing with the format. If you've been listening to other review episodes, you know, week to week, I've been trying to change it up and just talk about different elements and review the books in a, in a different way, you know, just trying new things. And I think this week I'm going to talk about just letdowns. Uh, I felt a little let down by the short stories, but not entirely. I'm not sure what your initial reaction was to finishing them. Did you feel let down by them? It, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was really looking forward to reading them uh, because I've wanted to read Gaskell uh, because mm-hmm. of um, she wrote the, the novel North and South. And I haven't read that novel, but I saw the movie version with Richard okay. Armitage and I, absolutely fell in love with the story and i was like oh sweet i can start with something easier and after reading it i was just kind of like i don't know i know i felt lukewarm too which is why i thought i'd invite you into this instead of us planning that cranford like additional deep dive because after reading these i was like do i want to continue (laughs) do i need uh you know do i need to add in a deep dive into my reading i'm not sure And I think I'm still unsure. Hopefully this episode will help me parse my feelings because I didn't come away from them in in total dislike. uh, And hopefully that's a preview of our final review there. But I think both stories kind of have merits. And I think for a modern reader, even maybe more importantly, they have recognizable components in them. Like it's one of them is just a ghost story that's supposed to be creepy, scary. I think Mm -hmm. there's horror elements in that. You know, there's sounds, there's uh, past, uh, not trysts. Well, I guess it was kind of a tryst, but there's, you know, there's like buried histories and families. 
Um, the second story is basically just a long literary illusion, you know, mm-hmm. and it has kind of familiar narrative structures to it. Um, was there anything familiar that stood out to you in either of the stories? Because there, there, there's a lot of it that readers can connect to, I think. I, I agree. Um, I really actually preferred the second story, The Curious If True, to the first one. I'm not mm-hmm. much for horror anyway except for stephen king but that's for entirely different reasons um (laughs) and is it you travis that that doesn't like still never read him it's not uh well i thought you were gonna ask about stephen king i don't like horror really at all though i did give edgar Allan poe a three on our review i've found the psychological components of those stories to be extremely good and frankly the writing just to be like really snappy and engaging Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. just found it to be uh crisp would be kind of a weird adjective i'd throw out um anyway that episode is posted if the listener hasn't heard it or you're curious so i di- i guess i do like some but no as a genre it's a extremely hard pass for me movies yeah. tv horror no interest really usually for me as well except for stephen king so yeah yeah and i think yeah i thought you were gonna ask i interrupted you i thought you were gonna ask about stephen king he's one of those weird pantheonish authors who i've never once read anything i'll get around to it you know someday i'll finally be tempted Wow, I I don't think I've ever met anyone who's never read Stephen King. <laughs> I know, I know. I've seen tons of the movie adaptations, and I really like a few of them too. Like uh, Misery was a movie I like weirdly really loved in like high school when I saw it. I think Such it was high a good school. Movie, yeah. I know, yeah. So there's you know there are stories that he has created that I've enjoyed, but never any of his uh, written works. Not yet. And yeah, I think in these two stories, again, it, you're going to come out of them having read them thinking, oh, I, I acknowledge this or I recognize that component or narrative structure of this piece. I just, to me, I think compare and contrast today will help us a lot because it felt like every time one of those elements got going or there was some kind of hook or narrative bit that I enjoyed, it didn't fully realize. It didn't fully come to fruition for me. I just, Mm -hmm. again, there were things in it where I was like, I kind of like that or, oh, that's interesting or I'm enjoying reading that. And then it just kind of fell flat or didn't pay off. Mm -hmm. And so that's the things, those are the things today in the review I'm hoping we can isolate and chat about and talk about and obviously feel free to throw in your own. Of course. This is a common experience I think people who get really invested in different genres kind of find themselves bumping into. This happens to me a lot in video games, frankly, where it's some games just become such obvious derivatives of other games where you think, this has parts that I should like, but I don't like the way you put it together. Or, you know, this has familiar elements, but I know those elements so well in another game that I don't know why I would play this one you know right. i feel like that happens a lot and in in terms of literature and books i feel like if you're deep into like fantasy or sci-fi there are so many repeated tropes that this happens in those genres too mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever had do you ever get genre exhaustion in really any medium tv movies games whatever oh for sure and that's why i take breaks regularly from whatever and go off and explore something else for a while Right, yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt, and it helps to be uh, kind of multifaceted in your interests, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and when I think of, like, fantasy, just hero tropes really get abused in those stories, yeah. and, the, and the hero narratives get so dull to encounter over and over science fiction. I feel like, for those, the thing that wears on me the most is just, like, feels like unnecessary vocab dumps, where oh they're just making gosh, up yes. terminology for the sake of making it up. It's like, all right, I get that. You want everything to be its own little new genre or category. It's like you don't want to call a keyboard a keyboard. You know, you want to call it a, a clacker or you want to. It's just like, but why to after an extent or to an extent? Sometimes that can be bothersome. Yeah, it also bothers me when um, 
a lot of sci-fi writers, they're obviously very intelligent. They're coming up with um, these great ideas that are also integrating technology and stuff, but they also use unnecessarily obscure vocabulary. So not only yeah. are they creating vocabulary, but they're, they're using words that the usual reader wouldn't would have to look up to understand. <laughs> well, definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm usually on board with that. I, I like having the, I mean, if we're going to give English the language any credit for anything, it is kind of weird and expansive in a fun way. I think yeah. that makes the literature kind of fun. It's, you know, it's more, I think it's always better to have more tools than, than less, so mm -hmm. to speak. So it's like, okay, I, I don't mind looking up really weird words I've never seen. But yeah, when you layer that into the science fiction, like we also just made up a hundred words for this book. Right. I don't know that, that I feel like becomes exhausting. I become more impressed when an author is restrained mm -hmm. rather than just agree. dumping things. So that's, uh, that's the framing for this week's review. Let's get into the specifics. The first thing I pulled then for a kind of familiar element made, I don't know, not fully working in these is just sort of the way the settings were established because it's kind of dense work up front in both stories. There's a lot of just contextualization, building up, establishing time and place. Um, there's a quote on page seven or my page seven that I pulled from the first story where they're describing like just the wilderness that they're in and the house. And it's, I think, trying to set up and establish a spooky atmosphere. Um, right. I'm going to pull some of the quote. It says, you know, for again to be to think that I should be lost in the wilderness of the house, like the house is so vast that it's, you know, literally its own sort of jungle. Um, right. There's a nighttime nursery and a little crib. I, there's all these details just scattered all over. There's there's something like a library having books all down one side and the windows and writing tables all down the other. We came to our rooms, uh, which I was sorry to hear were just over the kitchens for I begin to think I should be lost. And it, there's just all of this setting, setting, you know, there's all of this establishment. But I just feel like it's, and maybe this is, a, again, a modern me projecting what I want out of structure, but it's just a massive paragraph. This is like a three-page paragraph for me in, in the way mine looks. It just felt like it needed some breaking up, I guess. I agree. with, And that's the, the trouble with short stories um, is that you have very limited space in order to kind of set the scene and to get the plot mm -hmm. going and everything else and, and the resolution. So to put so much into the description where you could make it actually a bit briefer uh -huh. um, and still establish the same feeling of like, Oh, this is a wilderness. It's pretty creepy. And also I noticed that that entire paragraph in the next one um, it's setting up kind of um, a contrast to Rosamond and Hester, the narrator. So like they're uh -huh. young, they're fresh, they're innocent and all this other stuff versus the house, which is like creepy and old and all this stuff. You can still set that up, but have it be quite a bit shorter. I know. And I think I know how my brain is broken in this specific way. I've been working with like student writing or editing student writing for too long because mm -hmm. I read two pages like this and I'm like, man, just take just take the first paragraph and do all the house stuff, like make it seem like a creepy, expansive wilderness, which I think is actually like a cool description. And it implies or sort of hints at this almost haunted and like dangerous atmosphere or whatever. It's like, okay, good. And then it's like, get, then give me the family details in another paragraph and just break it up. Cause right. there's all this details about like family history, but then they're in the nursery and it's just, it feels very messy. And I think the reader, it puts burden on the reader to be like, no, you need to get all of that out of it and figure out the structure on your own kind of a thing. Right. And it just, I don't know it, there were details buried in there. I enjoyed, but overall it felt kind of overwhelming and didn't really feel satisfying to read. I agree. I think that, 
what she was trying to accomplish with um, setting it up as uh, an opposite to um, her previous circumstances and to how she perceives herself and her young charge. I think that that intent is really good, but Mm -hmm. I think that the execution of it was, is, is almost like Dickens where it's like overly wordy in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, far be it from us peasant writers in the 2020s (laughs) to edit, you know, the legends of the canon. But no, I I think it's worth saying. I, I think any current reader who's not in it for the academics or academia would have that reaction probably for sure and yeah. i think i wrote down here too i have another note that the description can kind of happen without warning and again there's very few paragraph breaks where i think there probably should be and so i think it's again up to the reader to chunk that out and break that up in their mind they're mm-hmm. in the second story which starts off in like a wilderness in like a dark in the dark there's like just such sudden transitions in the same page or in the same paragraph he begins by saying, of course, night came on and I was in darkness. And then there's this panic of like, what do I do? But then all of a sudden he has this digression. I believe the French peasants go to bed with the summer daylight, which is, you know, it's like there's some kind of class commentary throughout that story, but it's at really weird spots in a way where yeah. you can't, I, to the point where you can't really tell if it's commentary or just like a bit of characterization, I suppose. And then, you know, then he transitions back saying I was as dainty as Lotiel's grandchild, which is a reference I didn't even understand. And then who made his grandsire indignant at the luxury of his pillow of snow. And then he jumps back to this break was too full of brambles. Like the, it's the settings, you know, overwhelming him and is mm-hmm. kind of coming in upon him. It, it just moves in a way that just did not feel sensible to me. And it's, you know, again, I'm looking at a paragraph like that, this massive block thinking, if you want me to feel that this setting is, you know, eerie or spooky, do we really need those five transitions to do it? Yeah, that, story the i think with the french um uh-huh. when he was saying the thing about the french peasants it was to show how alone he was yeah yeah because they weren't uh, there but also how and he specifically with the peasants because he looks down on everybody and then the comment on yeah. the dainty because he's he's a snob right his characterization throughout the entire story is he's really snobby <laughs> yeah right right he definitely has these uh puts on these airs of looking down on yeah at some point he talks about the the genteel versus the impoverished and mm-hmm. how the poor can never be genteel and so that stuff is pretty it's in there again i i don't know fully to what end we can explore that a bit if we want and so yeah i think it's just a lack of transitioning which again feels like such a 2020 note but it's one i guess i just have to give um not again not terrible or anything but it struck me when i was reading it and then didn't feel like i never felt like i had a full grasp on what the author was trying to get me to to feel and immerse myself in yeah um i think for these notes i'm going to give some quick recommendations or at least talk about examples that worked well i just finished a fantasy novel called the fifth season which i really enjoyed and i think one thing that the best fantasy writing does in an amazing way and in a very creative way is established setting. But of course, when you have a novel, you can, you have the luxury of doing that over like 300 pages instead Mm of, like you said, in a short story, by taking that form, you're putting the burden on yourself to say, I can do this efficiently. And I have these like razor sharp details that will only matter to this brief narrative. Um, So I don't know if you have a, do you have a favorite, you know, work that establishes setting? In a, in a way that you think is elegant and interesting? That's a good question. Um, I'm not really sure. I think, because I, right now I'm in the mindset of like the short stories. Um, yeah. The short short story compilations I really, really enjoy. Like, so Winesburg, Ohio, I absolutely yeah. love. Um, I don't know if you've read that. Um, no, I have not. 
I did I read a lot of realism though. I took an American realism class, so I feel like I, I don't know how I dodge that. <laughs> that is strange. It um, is weird. But the the great thing about uh, short story compilations is that you you initially set up um, some sort of setting, and you can do it in chunks, right? So because each mm-hmm. different story is going to take place uh, with some different aspect of this the town or whatever, you can slowly develop. Um, the setting, unlike here where it's like, let me just throw all this at you in these massive paragraphs and and hope that you get all the details that you need. But I also really enjoyed um, as far as setting, uh, building up setting is um, a, another short story compilation called Knock'em Stiff. Okay. I don't uh, know that one either. What's the, what's the brief premise? So that one is set in, uh, is that also supposed to be like Knock'em Stiff, Ohio, or is it Wisconsin? It's, it's, I mean, is- half a dozen of one, you know, or, <laughs> whatever, however the expression goes. The Midwest, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, begrudge people for kind of blurring the Midwest lines, even though I, that's where I was raised, you know. But yeah. it's up there; it's it's up around your neck of the woods. Um, yeah. But it's it was like Winesburg, Ohio, in that everything took place in that one town. But it was um, written actually just. I want to say less than a decade ago and it's oh, okay. it's a completely different tone. It it focuses on like how small town living can just really tear up people. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. hard look at drug use, alcohol abuse, domestic abuse and that kind of stuff, but also how people triumph over that and how people okay. some people don't triumph over it. So it's a very different almost like a, a darker view of like Winesburg in a way. <laughs> okay. And yeah, fair enough. You. Yeah. I like those recommendations and Weisberg O'Hire, yeah, is a it's like a landmark work of realism. So, yeah. if that if that intrigues, you know, the listener, check that out. Let's transition to, you know, this is how you do it, by the way, Gaskell, you set up an established clear transition. This is how it's done right here, podcasting <laughs> and book writing 101. There you <laughs> go. myself on the back. Yeah, just be just be clear about it, okay? It's not harmful to be clear at times. Uh I get there's pressure in more creative works in fiction. Anyway, um, the second point I wanted to talk about that, again, I felt like had these moments of, I wrote down here, like little tight moments of ecstasy in terms of just enjoying the prose or enjoying the story flow, Mm -hmm. but that I I don't think they pay off well. I think there's a lot of established things in the story, a lot of aha moments, for lack of a better term, that just don't reach a satisfying conclusion or they don't have payoff to them. I think in the first story, and let's try and avoid for the review aspect, you know, spoilers, quote unquote. Got it. But in the first story, in the ghost one, there are details and there are descriptions that certainly, I, I, I again, don't feel like deep fear or terror while reading spooky things, but that at least... I thought were uh, well done and like intriguingly written. And there's enough there. Like on 27, the quote, and I caught her up the girl, she's watching the main character. It says, I caught her up for my flesh had begun to creep at these noises, which they heard while we could catch no sound, which I think is such an eerie description of, you know, feeling haunted by something. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a moment on 18 where one of the characters is kind of having a breakdown and is yelling like Hester, keep her away. It will lure to her death. And I thought that part maybe was overwritten, but it has components that I thought, okay, you know, this is establishing the unwellness of this estate. And, but then again, it, the way that story ends, I just was just flat for me. Yeah, I agree. The The ending I was very disappointed in, and I saw yeah. also bits of, of brilliance in it. Um, there were some descriptions that I really enjoyed. I really liked how she described like um, the, 
um, Lady Furnival as being kind oh, of yeah. um, sad and dejected and, and also deaf, which plays a part later. And then uh, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Stark, who seems like a really mean person versus Rosamund and Hester. So I, I like some of the characterization. I think that she could have done yeah. really well with that. But yeah, I agree. At the end, I was just kind of like, uh, mm, yeah. And I think to use the second story of Curious of True, and again, we'll, you know, lightly dance around some spoilers, but the the main hook of that story I think we should talk about, which is that he, this man wandering the French wilderness, winds up at a mansion or at a chateau that's basically a party of fairy tale characters, and mm-hmm. he's just like crashing this fairy tale character party. Yeah. And so there are references there. I'll admit to I probably understood about half of them. I'm definitely not up on my fairy tales, I guess, as I should be. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's like clear references to um, Jack the Giant Killer, who they call yeah. John. And then I'm pretty sure that there was Sleeping Beauty, which I thought maybe was my favorite moment in both of the stories when she, <laughs> when she shows up with the prince and then is, is literally sleeping she gets like brought or not dragged into the party but she gets carried in asleep yep and again those were like you know it's a clever little <laughs> twist where you think okay this is playful and fun and it's kind of satirical in a way it's kind of an absurd party and the characters are kind of larger than life but again i just found that they never it's like okay cool premise and you wrote it in an interesting way these are fun interpretations but to what end? I don't, there really wasn't an end. I, I guess there was, but again, I don't want to say fully what it was. Yeah. the I found this one a lot more intriguing. I really wanted yeah. to continue reading it. And then at the end, I was just like, what the, that is, it was, it almost felt like a lazy ending to me. I was just like, what, mm-hmm. why? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and to me, that feels like, though, I don't mean this as a critique of you, but that feels like a lazy critique sometimes to be like, oh, that ending was bad. But in this case, it was just abrupt and not, it didn't pay anything off. And it, yeah, I just think I agree with you completely. It's like the ending was just, it was a dud. Right. With, with short stories, it, what I look for in a short story is, is what is the purpose of writing the story, right? There has to be some yeah. kind of purpose for, uh, why you're taking the time to create this really short masterpiece, right? It's supposed to be a masterpiece of some sort. And sure. I could not figure out what the purpose was other than to show that she knows her French fairy tales. I'm not. Is this um is this our, our formal educations kicking in and the way we've been kind of mm. honed and trained to read short stories? But because I, I agree, when I read a short story, my like literary antennae are so much more raised and alert. Like because yeah. it just you know because everything's condensed, I just assume everything has to have meaning and potency and stuff. That's true. Um, and I get some people. Um, I, I described another podcast describing this take, but there was a person on there saying how they view short stories as like the playing ground where everything nothing means anything and it's all frivolous and i was like man we were raised and like trained the opposite way yeah, <laughs> everything like, has meaning <laughs> yeah everything is super dense in a short story and it's nothing is what it says directly probably and so yeah i just go into it and maybe this is the middle school mindset but thinking like you know thinking in rough terms of theme where it's just mm-hmm. like okay what's the what was their intention or purpose is there some kind of thematic component interest that's interesting here is there some kind of meaning i can pick up on and yeah i'd be at a loss if you handed me a book report like high school book report being like analyze that story for theme i'd be like okay i'll try (laughs) (laughs) i'll do my best um yeah and i'm you know you can i could spin a yarn as could i know you could too but overall i would be left a little cold if that were asked of me i think I agree. Yeah. And, and that's a good point is I didn't even think about the fact that you and I are 
English majors and therefore we've been taught to look more closely at the literature, especially with short stories. So, Oh, and even I, I think too, and that's certainly true for, you know, for how far we took our, you know, quote unquote training. But I think it's definitely true. Even if you make it through middle or high school here in the States, like if, if your teachers want to teach hard literary reading standards, they like whip out the short story of their choice Mm -hmm. and they say, yeah, we're going to analyze these 10 components and Oh, this metaphor. And you know how it goes. You know, you taught English as well. So I just think even if that was your level of reading, that you still have this thing in your brain where you're like, oh, short story, huh? That's I'm going to have to talk about like theme and all the story elements and stuff. Um, This one definitely, again, it had so many illusions that were fun and playful. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, if if any of the listeners go out and read it, let us know if you have a strong interpretation (laughs) of the ending. Uh, I certainly don't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't either. I think in this uh, in this regard, so I wrote down here as a kind of quick summary of the two stories. The ghost story felt like it never went full horror, and mm-hmm. like it never really strove to really you know break your break your psyche down in that way. And the fairy tale story, which I think was satirical in in spots, never went full satire in my mind. It never felt like there was the clear commentary or the the clear message or something that I could really take away. And I think the most recent thing I thought pulled that off with a plum was Parasite, which was the you know movie from last year that won the best picture. Did you ever see Parasite? No, not yet. Okay. But I want to. <laughs> I will 100% not spoil it, though I think <laughs> if you've read my note here, I already have, but that's okay. You can, right. still see, you can still see that word without knowing, but and I'll say it here to the listener. Again, this is like a light spoiler for Parasite. But Parasite, when it when it decides to start stabbing, it it does it. It does not hold back, and it doesn't leave things that ambiguous. And when it decides that like some violence needs to get introduced, it absolutely pushes it into your face. Which I think if you're just going to make stories that have I don't know social commentary, and you holding back is is rarely the right call. And again, I think I think Parasite's a bit of a satire of sorts um, mm-hmm. or has those elements. And I felt like the second story, did you feel like it was a satire or did I misread it really badly? I think that she was attempting to make it a satire for sure. It's, yeah. it's with the, I don't want to say too much, but with the characters, it's, it's post story, right? It's post their, their highlighted story. So yeah. you see a little bit of what they're like now and they're not exactly happy <laughs> yeah yeah it's not very glamorous the, right. the party's kind of ludicrous and meandering and the character kind of just like wanders around not really in awe though at times in confusion it's more of like a confused baffled feeling than right than like oh man this is i'm in you know this reverent feeling and and some there were some jabs at um how ridiculous the aristocracy is and how ridiculous yeah. certain customs are like when sleeping beauty was had to be the first one to drink her drink because that's the custom is like the highest ranking. Right. But she was asleep. So everybody had to wait until her husband woke her up in order to uh, partake in the refreshments. So I think it's, she, there are like that. Those were the things that I did enjoy. Um, So those little bits where you could very clearly see what, what she was almost trying to do. And then, yeah. Then the I rest just, now. yeah, I th- yeah, I felt like it was really let down by the plot. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So that one again, things I enjoyed, and then it felt like it withheld a little in in both stories too. And again, I'm not one. We've said this, not one for horror, but even then, I think if you're going to do that, really push it, really make it grim, or in some ways, um, deeply psychologically 
distressing or something, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, just push it at me. You know, if I'm, if I'm choosing to engage, like don't hold back, you know, I'm the one seeking this out. So it just, they both felt a little limp in right. that way. Yeah, I agree. The final thing that I wanted to talk about then in terms of just elements that were set up and then a letdown, there was kind of playful narrative about both of them in a sense, certainly in the curious of true, there's a ton of weird second person, which I just could not wrap my head around why other than the very blanket statement of it makes it feel like a correspondence, which it's, it's a letter. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Like you have to literally have a U in there. That's fine. I guess I would just beg the why question of that though. Like, why did we need that then? There's, it's such strange little things. Um, He says, he says to the, uh, to the second person he's writing the letter to, uh, I shall not tell you of my troubles and adventures in this research. He's trying to research Calvin, right? The yeah, religious because he's uh, yeah, he's trying to prove that he's got some some uh, blood, yeah, blood relation to him. Because of course yeah. his his relations are important because he wants the status. Yes, yeah, yeah he's a status seeker. He's clearly an elitist too. Yeah, yeah. and but <laughs> then he but then he says you are not worthy to hear them, which I thought was like okay, is and that's like on the first page of the story. Yeah, to me, to me, by that comment too, I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> and totally, I'm totally into it, right? So it's like, okay, if you do that early in your story, what are you maybe establishing? Yeah, that like it's going to be some not caustic relationship between the narrator and the and the receiver. But some kind of testy, I don't know, like, what's the purpose of this letter? And none of that is paid off. Like, he mentions mm-hmm. you a couple more, you know, there's a couple more sentences in there. He mentions uh, that he is from misty England and that the clear southern hemispheres are very different, you know? So it's like, all right, they're, they're both English. That's, again, fine, but why do I need to know this? I don't know. It just felt like that never came to fruition, right? Yeah, I agree. I I was looking forward to that particular relationship. I was just like, Ooh, let's see what, what other mean things he's going to say. <laughs> I know. I know. And I've, and then I thought that would maybe be involved in the story. Like maybe it would be a, our fairy tales versus their fairy tales kind mm-hmm, of satire yeah. or a class comment. I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking for stuff, right? I'm just trying to find an interpretation that fits. And I don't know if any of them fit that well, frankly. Yeah. The, the, f- the jabs at like certain French things and then Mm -hmm. also the jabs at those who were uh, lower born. I was expecting a bit more with that as well, but yeah. And I think, and it does, there's enough fun in the party scene, which is frankly, most of the story anyway, but there's enough fun there where I think, yeah, you might get a lot out of it, especially if you know fairy tales. Well, I had to Google a couple references and there's still a few illusions in there that I'm certain I did not know, but yeah, me too. it's still pretty, it was still pretty entertaining. Yeah, I agree. There's also the funny anecdote in this, in the narrative in that same story about the, his cat, Tom, like yeah. he goes on the whole <laughs> tangent that's like, Tom is, as you know, on pretty good terms with some of my friends using their legs for rubbing posts without scruple and highly esteemed by them for his gravity of demeanor and wise manner of winking his eyes. And I couldn't, a comment like that or a little digression, character digression like that. I can't tell if we're then to think the narrator is more personable or like lighthearted, or is he kind of just a goofball or doofus or I like, again, I, I don't know if the rest of the narrative has enough oomph behind it or enough, um, I guess, cohesion for me to, to think anything really other than, Oh, I guess that's a funny aside. Right. I, I thought that that um, description that he gave of his cat, I thought that was pretty funny, but the rest of his characters just seems so uh, dour and he just doesn't seem like the kind of person from the rest of the story that would make yeah. an aside like that. So I was a little bit confused about, the change in his tone there. 
Like, I yeah. guess she was trying to say that he, even though he's, uh, he's very snobby and kind of looks down yeah. on everybody and, and is very worried about how he comes off to other people. Uh-huh. Um, maybe she was trying to say that he still has a sense of humor. I don't know. I know. Right. And th- yeah. And I, I felt similarly kind of in like interpretation or analytical limbo of just thinking like, I feel like I should have a thought about this. Shouldn't yeah. I? Or yeah. isn't there, shouldn't this have some kind of broader meaning or what, wh- how can I connect this to other story elements or some other meaning? And I just came away feeling a little cold. Like, I don't know if I have the connections. Yeah. With, and going back to the, the use of the, the second person, when you compare it to the first story, the old nurse's story, I think yeah. very clearly uh, Gaskell used the you throughout in order to uh, set up a feeling of trust, right? We, we trust that the narrator is telling us the truth uh, because she mm-hmm. knows us in some way or whatever. She's establishing that uh, relationship very clearly. And it's a, and it's a loving relationship from the beginning, right? Cause it's the, the children of Miss Rosamond that she's talking to. So we're expected to, uh, believe everything that she says almost right yeah or, yeah. or the the people that she that are listening to her so it's it's to establish that feeling of of trust in the narration but then in the second one with the with the comment at the beginning it's like there's not i mean do i trust somebody that's gonna talk to me like that or what I, yeah i mean the second narrator is certainly like a haughty kind yeah. of yeah like you've described an elite you know maybe want to be aristocrat or a real one mm-hmm. and so I, yeah, I think that if we're meant to be making light or kind of like giggling at that narrator, I, there wasn't enough then to really push me that way. Because right. then in the during structurally, then during like the party, he does kind of fade a little bit. He's just observing a ton of things. So it's like, well, there's not a lot of commentary mm-hmm. on him in that section. Uh, it's mostly about right. these illusions and these literary references and the funny um, and the fun and funniness that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that didn't fully work. I wrote yeah. down here as another quick recommendation on narrative structure. Did you ever read um, The Story of Your Life, which then was the science fiction film Arrival? No. So both are excellent. And I like Ted Chiang um, is the author who wrote that. I like him a lot. I think he's a great science fiction fantasy short story writer. I think he only publishes short stories. So who knows if he'll do something else. But I really like his stuff. And I thought that was in the last couple of years, again, something I read where the narrative felt like a really aggressive and purposeful choice and then really paid off in a like phenomenal way. So if you need a recommendation on, you know, some kind of play on structure and narrative and how having a narrator act and think, and even like the time frame can be structured in a certain way for story reasons. Uh, that one is really excellent. Interesting. And I won't say anything more because it does rely on a bit of a twisty aspect at the end. So I'll just leave it at that. But I think as I was reading this again, I as we set up at the very beginning of the episode, right? Compare, contrast, seeing elements you know, but not feeling like they're as good. I mean, I just immediately thought of that story and thinking that the ending of that short story just totally rocked me in the way the narrative like kind of unfurled. And this, I had no reaction yeah. other than confusion. <laughs> yeah and disappointment <laughs> yeah just like a little bafflement being like oh did i did i miss something or I, okay yeah bit of a bit of a dud yeah i agree well we end the reviews with a score we like to give a simple score to these and try and keep our system um user friendly i think as it were one two or three then amanda one being do not read this don't bother seeking them out and again i don't think that's a value statement of like they're poorly written or something but you're just saying no need to 
spend your time on these. Two would be qualified recommendations. So read this if, you know, and then fill in the blank. And then three is must read status. What do you think for these two stories? Uh, that's, that's so tough. For the ending, I want to give it a one just because I. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but at the same time, I, I still want to read other Gaskell. Like this has made me feel like I think her writing is okay and that maybe her mm-hmm. longer pieces are going to be good. Yeah. But as far as short stories, I would say mm, probably I would say you wouldn't have to read these. I would say one. And I'm going to. I, I would say the the review system we've established leads to a lot of me copping out and going with two, which I think actually the system is designed for anyway. It's mm-hmm. like we're bell curving this basically. Yeah. <laughs> like our reviews are just going to turn out that way, which I think is fine. Um, I think this is a t- perfect two. Like it, again, sentence to sentence, stylistically, it had moments. I enjoyed right. some of the character work and stuff. And I just think you'd have to have an interest in either ghost stories or fairy tales to fully engage um Mm -hmm. if you're just looking for a a bit of entertainment i don't think either are going to be worth seeking out though i think i don't want to have this review just be some broad condemnation on the author because yeah the the writing intrigued me enough like again i'm not sure if we'll do the follow-up on on that cranford one maybe i'll try like the first 10 pages and and see see if i get hooked but i think this is like a perfect two for me um i can't condemn it to one status which so far has been i've had extremely strong reactions to the ones we've reviewed on the show mm-hmm. and so i think this ends up being just qualified you know if our descriptions or if uh the review we just laid out intrigues you in any way go for it if not this can be your engagement with gaskell and then we'll you know maybe amanda and i will follow up yeah i'd be up for whatever <laughs> might be Cranford time, time to travel to. And I think that might be a little interesting too. Maybe the um, commentary or satire will be more clear because those don't have fantasy elements in them, right? right. Cranford, it's just right. realistic, you know, Victorian fiction, I think, or something. Yeah, it's, and it's all set in the town of Cranford. So it is supposed gotcha. to, yeah. So it should be a completely different tone overall, I think, right. from these two stories. Interesting. Well, you know, listeners, keep your eyes on the feed for that follow-up podcast. There's a, at least a better than decent chance we do that, though. Give us some time to read that and maybe return. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for jumping in on a book review. Thrilling yeah. to have you. So Thanks. pleased. We will try and get you back on probably for another review sometime soon. Did you uh, read the Herman Melville I got to this week? Uh, no. I mean, I've got my own copy of, of Melville, but I haven't Sweet. Uh, read the... Read it yet. The Enchanted Isles, or I think it's the Encantanadas, or there's like a, it's in Spanish, but then he calls it you know, the Enchanted Isles in English. It's a strong three. It was the first three I'd had in a long time. I really okay. enjoyed reading it. I thought it was, um, you know, not going to plug the podcast on the podcast. That'd be, that'd be pretty tacky, right? But no, <laughs> I think it's, if you want a recommendation, that one I had a much stronger reaction to, and I really liked it. I like Melville's writing. I think that uh, one yeah. of my favorite short stories is um, Bartleby the Scrivener. Like I just, I love it. So yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. surprised that you enjoyed his short stories. Uh, and that one's too, that's like a high school, it's like a legendary high school short story. A ton of people still have to read that, I think. Yeah. Still a favorite among, you know, like literary uh, literature teachers. It's a good one. I, yeah. I did listen to your Dickens one and I love that you did uh, edit. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I decided I that it wasn't a bad idea. A bit arrogant, but I don't mind. I I I really thought it was pretty fun to <laughs> go about doing it. Honestly, yeah, it's it something that I have episode. to do at work. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, we we can revisit that kind of structure maybe on a, in a future review then. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again for joining us and uh, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. 
with episode 40. Uh, unsure what I'm going to do for that one. And then expect a best of episode. I actually have a plan for the episodes 21 through 40, um, some kind of compilation or best of sort of special edition episode. So keep your eyes on that. I'll promote it when it, when it gets released. And until then, we will see you between the classics.